Welcome to 340B Insight from 340B Health. Hello from Washington, D.C., and welcome back to 340B Insight, the podcast about the 340B drug pricing program. I'm David Glendinning with 340B Health. Our guest today is Fatima Mohammed, Director of 340B Pharmaceutical Services and Drug Replacement at St. Peter's University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. We've had several episodes focused on 340B's connection to health equity and care improvement for historically underserved populations. But we have not yet had the chance to focus on maternal health, which is a key clinical area related to this important work. April is National Minority Health Month, and we wanted to hear more about 340B and maternal health from Fatima, who is an expert on this topic. Before we go to that discussion, let's take a minute to cover some of the latest news about 340B. A bipartisan group of lawmakers in the U.S. House of Representatives has introduced a bill that would ban payment discrimination by pharmacy benefit managers and insurance companies against 340B-covered entities. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, a Democrat from Virginia, and Congressman Dusty Johnson, a Republican from South Dakota, are the lead sponsors of the Protect 340B Act of 2023. This measure would prohibit PBMs and insurers from paying covered entities less or imposing more restrictive payment conditions on covered entities based solely on their participation in 340B. More than 20 states have 340B non-discrimination laws on the books, and this federal bill would establish such protections nationwide. 340B Health strongly endorses this legislation and is advocating for Congress to pass the bill. You can read our full statement by visiting the show notes. The list of drug companies imposing stricter limits on hospital access to 340B pricing on drugs delivered to contract pharmacies continues to grow. In recent weeks, AbbVie, GSK, Novartis, and Pfizer became the most recent companies to change their 340B contract pharmacy policies to become more restrictive. Those changes, which follow earlier revisions by Amgen and Johnson & Johnson, come after a federal appeals court decision in late January that was largely in favor of restrictive policies from three drug makers. 340B Health members can visit the show notes to access more information about these newest developments, as well as analysis of all 21 drug company restrictive policies. And now for our feature interview with Fatima Mohammed with St. Peter's University Hospital. At the most recent 340B Coalition Winter Conference in San Diego, Fatima presented on an expert panel focused on advancing health equity in clinical settings. Before her presentation, Miles Goldman sat down with her in her podcast booth in the conference exhibit hall to discuss how maternal health fits into that important discussion. Here's that conversation. Thank you, David. I'm joined by Fatima Muhammad, who is at St. Peter's University Hospital in New Jersey. Fatima, welcome to 340B Insight. Thank you for having me, Miles. I'm glad to be here. And we're here at the 340B Coalition Conference. We're in the exhibit hall. And I'm excited to have you with us as a guest because we're talking about a topic that 
been in the news a lot, maternal health, but a topic we haven't spoken to anyone about yet here on 340B Insights. But before we uh, jump into that, tell me a little bit about St. Peter's University Hospital and the community it serves. St. Peter's University Hospital is a non-for-profit health system with 478 licensed bed acute care teaching hospital that serves not only Middle Essex County, but numerous of surrounding communities that seek treatment here due to our esteemed recognition for quality of care. It was the region's first state designated regional perinatal center in 1992. St. Peter's University Hospital cares for more than 500 low birth weight babies and over 2,200 high risk OB clinic visits annually. With St. Peter's University Hospital expanding with the Family Health Center, this number will be increasing significantly. We are recognized as a safety net hospital, which identifies that we serve a disproportionate percentage of low-income and vulnerable populations. And one thing I would like to specify is St. Peter's University Hospital delivers more babies than most facilities in the state of New Jersey for maternity services. Well, it's, it's clear why St. Peter's has an expertise in maternal health. One of the issues that maternal health has been connected with in conversations has been health equity. So I wanted to broaden out by asking, what role do you see 340B playing in the pursuit of health equity? Well, 340B is a program that is intended to help fill the gap in the access of care for patients who are underserved, underinsured, and uninsured. Due to this strong mission to ensure that all patients have access to healthcare and affordable medications, 340B already plays such a large role in the space of health equity. Dish hospitals provided approximately 75% of care to the patients who are covered by Medicaid alone. They also provide approximately 67% of all uncompensated and unreimbursed care in the United States which is equivalent to approximately $41 billion in 2020. Since dish hospitals serve vulnerable and low-income populations, they are directly absorbing the cost of care for these communities. Dish hospitals also serve 55% higher low-income share level than non-340B hospitals, which further emphasize the financial burden taking on these entities. So when it comes to dealing with health equity, 340B is all about that. And any organization that has a 340B program, that is a part of their mission. And some other data I'd like to talk to you about is maternal health disparities in the U.S. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. It's something that's not talked about enough. I'm really glad that we're having the conversations in regards to maternal health, especially for Black and Brown communities. The United States is one of the leading countries for maternal mortality among high-income countries, despite being one of the wealthiest nations in the world. On top of this, another disparity exists between women of color in the United States, where the gap is constantly increasing. Black women experiencing the heaviest burden of maternal mortality and are at three to four times higher risk than non-Hispanic white women. The National Center for Health Statistics identified the total number of maternal deaths in the United States between 2018 and 2020, stratified across racial and ethnic groups. The maternal mortality rate for the United States in 2020 was 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births. Yes, in America. 
The state of New Jersey comes in at number four with the highest maternal mortality rates preceded by Louisiana as one and Georgia as two, Indiana as third, and Arkansas is number five. Non-Hispanic white women had a rate of 19.1 deaths per 100,000 live births. Hispanic women experienced 18.2 per live births, while non-Hispanic black women had a rate of 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. These trends for maternal mortality are also mirrored in the state of New Jersey. And those are really sobering statistics you shared. What factors are driving these maternal health disparities? Why do you think these factors are proving so challenging to address? Social determinants of health are strongly linked in the literature as a cause of these staggering disparities. A woman's race or ethnicity, education, income level, housing, access to medical insurance, and other such factors contribute heavily to the disparities that we are seeing. Now, I want to just say something because we're talking about social determinants of health, which is linked to why this is happening. But then there are wealthy black and brown women who are educated or make millions that this is happening to them as well. So we don't want to disregard that. So this does have something that we need to look into deeper when it comes to women of color. When women are starting at a disadvantage due to the external circumstances, and when we live within a system that works to accentuate these disadvantages, it's not surprising that there has not been much change within the disparities being seen. Approximately one in 10 people live in poverty in America. One in 10 people in the United States do not have health insurance and therefore cannot access or afford quality health care when they are in need. Other barriers to care include language, culture, transportation, and health literacy of patients. Women come from all different backgrounds, culturally and ethnically, and cannot all be treated the same in terms of their pregnancy and labor and delivery care. These women need to be heard. Every case needs to be assessed appropriately, and every institution needs to modify their policies and how care is being provided so this can stop and women can live to see their children and not die before their children take their first breath. Well, let's discuss how St. Peter's took a closer look at maternal health disparities. Tell me more about that process. Mary V. O'Shea Birth Center at St. Peter's University Hospital is the first birthing center located on the grounds of a hospital and the first hospital birth center owned in the state to be accredited by the commission for the accreditation of birth centers. Based on the midwifery model of care that embraces pregnancy and childbirth as a normal and physiological process, highlighting shared decision-making, minimal interventions, and women taking control of their birthing narrative. Under the care of certified nurses, midwives, and doulas that support a natural birth without any pain medications, St. Peter's felt it was really something very big to them considering how they are known for maternal care, not only in the state, but in the country, to be a part of changing the narrative for the state in ensuring that these women have healthy labor and delivery outcomes. What's the education process been like 
for reaching out to women who are considering having uh, births at home? Well, you know, doulas have played a crucial role in being able to enhance the understanding for patients who really want to take that pathway into their labor and delivery um, process. So a lot of these women fear being in the care of providers at many hospitals, considering the outcomes over the past decade alone for black and brown women. So being able to build that trust, which doulas have played a very great role at, or midwives as well, and educating them on what birthing centers can offer them. And now that that is something that is discussed and many states are fighting for the rights of doulas, which we do use doulas at St. Peter's University Hospital, we need to recognize that and give them a seat at the table since these patients feel that that is something to help facilitate their needs when it comes to being able to go down the journey of labor and delivery. Can you tell me a little bit more about working with the doulas at the, at the birthing center, just the, the process, that staffing model? Well, a lot of patients are even able to choose their doulas and bring them in to the hospital. And they are able to create their birthing plan of what that looks like for them. So it's very personalized. There are some doulas on staff at the birthing center, but many of these women are afforded doula services through many organizations in the state of New Jersey which I am very happy to see because it has grown exponentially over the past few years that birth equity is something that is not only a discussion, but so much funding has went into this. And Tammy Murphy, as I, who the First Lady of New Jersey, is really a huge supporter of this. So not only is this an initiative that has been on the ground for several years, but you're seeing it take off to where many women are taking advantage of being able to have a doula. And I remember years ago in the city, in New York City, only women of higher socioeconomic status was able to afford such a service. You know, when you're dealing with uh, people from lower socioeconomic status, you can't really expect them to understand the challenges of their high risk all the time. But when you have someone such as a doula at the table with them, advocating for them, they are listening and they are understanding those needs. And they are allowing their hand to be held. They know that they are being heard and someone is there to advocate for them. Now at St. Peter's University Hospital, our midwives are running that birthing center and the doulas are in there as a support system to help facilitate that labor and delivery process. I mean, statistics show that women who utilize the doula not only have better outcomes, but better postpartum outcomes. Whether we're dealing with lung embolisms, whether we're dealing with anything else related to postpartum challenges, blood clots, They need to be heard, and these doulas are advocating for them and telling their stories. How does the birthing center plan for a more high-risk pregnancy while still, you know, keeping the process in place that the patient prefers? Well, the beauty of the birthing center is also the staff is in high communication with physicians in the event that mothers need that care because they are high-risk. You'll have some moms that really want to give it a try and have a natural labor and delivery. And educating the mom about what the potential outcomes could be and why specialized uh, OBGYNs or own staff and additional teams to be able to support them in the event that it's needed is crucial. 
So planning and communicating, it's something that is really done well at St. Peter's University Hospital, because this is what affords us the ability to be on the forefront in the nation for maternity care. Are there obstacles involved in creating a birthing center? How does that work? Every state has their rules and regulations for how it's created and what is needed. So it's really according to the state of what those policies and procedures look like to get it on board. Of course, a facility needs to be set up a certain way. There are so many codes that have to be enforced just in case you have to have EMS come to help facilitate moving a patient. So things need to be on one level instead of having stairways. And of course, the approval. And being a hospital just, you know, allowed it to to be a little bit easier for us. And a lot of hospitals struggle with not taking all insurances. Us being a hospital where our mission is we do not turn a patient away, it made it easier for us. I don't know if you're familiar with how many birthing centers that have shut down nationwide over the past 10 years, but a lot of them shut down because they didn't take all insurances. St. Peter University takes all patients no matter what. Does 340B support the maternal health services we've been discussing here? 340B plays an extremely large role in the maternal health services that are implemented at St. Peter's. The savings generated from the program are the reasons that we are able to create these initiatives and provide more services to the patients in most need. The 340B savings have been regenerated throughout the hospital system to increase the number of patients seen at our Howling Family Center. We are looking to serve 100,000 patients annually as a result of expanding the Howling Family Center. We have doubled the number of examination rooms and created an on-site radiology department for patients as well. I just want to look forward now, and where does St. Peter's go from here in terms of next steps to address maternal health? Well, St. Peter's primary focus is to ensure the health and safety of all patients with high-quality patient care and access for all. In regards to maternal health and treating the whole patient, future implementations that St. Peter's University Hospital is looking to create include food pantry for those who visit the family center and are experiencing food insecurity, a supply pantry for families who have children in the NICU are limited in their access to resources. This would include diapers, bottles, and any other such donations that would allow families to save their spending on their newborns and ensure affordable care for their infants. Well, we're so happy to have you here at the Coalition Conference presenting on this really important topic of maternal health, Fatima, and thank you for sharing St. Peter's story with us and all the great work you're doing there. Best wishes moving forward with it. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks again to Fatima Mohammed for speaking with us about a topic that is so important to 340B providers and all those committed to health equity. To pursue health equity, we must address maternal health disparities. And we salute her for directing her expertise and passion toward educating the 340B community about this topic. How is your hospital or health system pursuing health equity with the help of 340B? We love featuring these stories on the podcast and are very interested in hearing yours. You can email us at podcast at 340bhealth.org. We will be back in a few weeks with our next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening and be well. 
Thanks for listening to 340B Insight. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at 340bpodcast.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at 340B Health and submit a question or idea to the show by emailing us at podcast at 340bhealth.org.